This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. Thanks for tuning in to Calvary Online. Today we conclude our series, Jesus, the Great I Am. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And today, I am the true vine. He is the great I am, the uncaused, uncreated, self-existent, all-sufficient, everlasting, eternal God who exists in a category by himself. And when Jesus captured these seven statements about himself, he was declaring his unity with the great I am of the Old Testament who delivered his people and simply said, I am who I am. When Jesus used these phrases, he was announcing something unique about himself that was so worthy of glory. And today, in the final statement in the Gospel of John, we're going to look at, I am the true vine. So if you have your Bible, let's open together to John chapter 15. Today, I'm going to read the scripture, actually beginning with the final verses of chapter 14. So if you have your Bible, let's open together. And it's a great message, understanding God's plan, his purpose, and his desire for our lives. So John chapter 14, verse 27. I want to read these because it sets the context in which Jesus makes this final statement about himself being the true vine. You'll remember that these are the final hours of his life. He is giving his last words to his disciples. John chapter 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come again. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, Because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father." Rise, let us go from here. And then walking out to the garden, Jesus continues in chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. Because of the word that I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide or remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, I ask today, as we look into your scriptures, your Holy Spirit will be with us to help us to understand what it is you have spoken and what it means to us. I pray that you will overcome every distraction and speak to our hearts by the power of of the Holy Spirit of God, both to know, to love, and to obey the words that you have given to us. This is what we pray for together. And everybody said, amen. I read today the end of chapter 14 and the verses beyond the analogy of the vine because in both the prelude to our text, John 15, 1 through 17, and afterwards, I get a sense that Jesus is preparing his disciples for what's ahead for them. He is preparing them for the rejection that they're going to experience and that Jesus is going to experience. And he's preparing them for the defection that's going to happen for those who were followers of Jesus. And he's preparing them for the persecution that is going to come. And in the context of preparing them for those things, he gives this analogy 
that I am the true vine. And there's so much in this last and final analogy that Jesus gives the true vine that we want to try to pick out today. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. When Jesus refers to himself as the true vine, he is, of course, referring to a prior vine that is identified in the scripture that is none other than the nation Israel. In Isaiah chapter 5, we get a sense of the use of the vineyard analogy that God's given in the scriptures. God thought of Israel as his vineyard. And in Isaiah chapter 5, there is a song of lament that the vineyard that God had planted for himself was failing to produce all that God wanted it to produce. So Isaiah chapter 5, let me sing a song for my beloved, my song concerning my vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it, he cleared it of stones, he planted it with a choice vine, he built a watchtower in the midst of it, he looked uh, over it, he hewed out a wine vat for it, he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes instead. What more was there that I could have done for my vineyard, Israel? Verse 7 of Isaiah 5 identifies that the vineyard is the Lord of uh, uh, the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The men of Judah is what he planted. But when he looked for justice, he saw bloodshed. When he looked for righteousness, he saw rebellion. So when Jesus opens up this analogy, I'm the true vine, every one of those listening disciples would have known that the vine that failed was Israel. But here's the true vine, and he wants to plant a vineyard. Now, the key verse in all of this uh, John 15 analogy is verse 8. So look at verse 8. John 15, 8 says, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. The point of the whole vineyard analogy is that God is doing a work in people to attach them to the true vine who is Jesus and in their lives to produce fruit for his glory. Because all that God does, he does for his glory. Why? because he is the great I am. I am who I am. I am the one who is in a category unlike any other category. So all that I do, I do for my glory because it wouldn't be right for any other entity to receive glory of all the earth which I have created. So I want you to bear much fruit and prove to be the disciples of the true vine so that the Father who is over the vineyard receives all of the glory. All that God does, he does for his glory. I want you to have that in your mind as we look at what our Father does for the vineyard that is his people. So verse 1, the vine dresser is the Father. The Father is the vine dresser. Now what does the vine dresser do? 
The vine dresser in the analogy does three things at least. They're described, two of them, in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, the vine dresser takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. If the Father is the vine dresser and Jesus is the true vine, the analogy pictures branches coming to life in the vine, followers who are attached to Jesus, and then producing fruit for the glory of the vine dresser, the one whose vineyard it is, God our Father, and the Father then managing the vineyard so that every branch produces fruit for the pleasure of the vine dresser. And when he finds, number one, a branch that does not bear fruit, the role of the vine dresser is to remove that branch. And so, verse 1, he takes that branch away. If you notice verse 6, in further description, that act of judgment by the vine dresser is described, if anyone does not abide in me, the vine, he is thrown away like a branch and it withers. And the branches are gathered and they're thrown into the fire and they are burned. As in all of the I am statements, there is a weight of seriousness in the words of Jesus. As we've said over over and again, we think he's the bread of life. Okay, I'll be nourished. He's the good shepherd. Oh, he's going to coddle me like a kindly shepherd. But in all of these I am statements, there is a weight to the glory and the holiness and the authority of Christ. And so it is here. The true vine produces life, and when there is a branch around the vine that does not produce fruit, the father, the vine dresser, pulls that branch away, and if it is not truly endued with the life of the vine, if Christ is not in that branch, it is taken to judgment. These are the words Jesus is saying. You must be attached to the vine, the life of Jesus in you, or there is judgment. That has troubled a lot of people who have said, but the text says, if any branch in me does not bear fruit, how does he mean a branch in me could be taken away? Could it be, question is asked, can you be united to Jesus but not permanently. Could you be a child of God and then not a child? Could you be a sheep of his pasture and then not a sheep of his pasture? Could you be a Christian and then lost? The answer of the Bible is clearly and authoritatively no. Let me see if I can help you see that, both uh, in two ways. Number one, I want you to turn back to chapter 6. In chapter 6, in one of our I am statements, the very first one, I am the bread of life, 
Jesus has already said in verse 37, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my flesh will never hunger again. And then in verse 37 of John 6, all that the Father comes to me, all the Father gives to me, excuse me, will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but I will raise him up on the last day. I will raise up what the Father gives to me on the last day. That speaks of the security of being kept because you have eaten the bread of life. Again, in John chapter 10, if stay with me, John chapter 10 and verse 27, here is the I am the good shepherd. And here Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. You see it? And they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. You see what Jesus has already said so clearly, when you are a sheep of his pasture, you're safe and secure. When you have eaten the bread of life and your soul is satisfied in knowing Jesus and you have consumed his redemptive work, no one will snatch you out of the Father's hand. So how is it that in this analogy in John chapter 15, any branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and cuts it off and it's thrown into the fire and it's burned what's meant here. Stay with me. Look at John chapter two. John chapter two and verse 23, the way in which John, the writer of this gospel, uses the word believe is helpful to see. In John chapter two and verse 23, John records, now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. Verse 24, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. He didn't believe them because he knew all people. And he didn't need anyone to bear witness about men because Jesus himself knew what was in the heart of men. So there was, in John's description, people who believed in him, but Jesus wasn't believing in them. One more verse, John chapter 6 and verse 66. Again, this is around the bread of life. And in verse 66, at the conclusion of Jesus' teaching on the bread of life, we read... After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So the way in which John uses language of Jesus is that there is a kind of belief that is not true saving belief in the gospel of John. And if you need one more convincing explanation of this, I will read for you 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18 where the same author of the Gospel of John uses this same idea of a belief that is not a saving belief. In John chapter, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, 
He writes, children, it's the last hour, and you have heard many antichrists have come, so that many antichrists have come into the world. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out from us that it might become plain that they were not of us. What's John saying? That it's possible to be around Jesus, to have some kind of belief that is not saving belief, and then to be shown to be not truly saved. Let's go back to John 15. What's the context? What's just happened prior to John 15 and this statement? There has been a branch that has been removed. Who is that? It's Judas. Judas was around Jesus. In fact, at the table when Judas betrayed Jesus, his own disciples did not even fully understand what was happening when Judas left the table. They were not certain why he was going out. They thought maybe he was going to get more food for the feast to come. So deceptive was he. I just want you to know that this is a warning passage that God is giving through Jesus that I am the true vine and part of the role of the vine dresser is to remove branches who are not true branches and shown to be such because the life of Jesus is not in them. So let's take heed and take warning. The second thing that the father does as the vine dresser to the vineyard in verse 2 is to prune those branches that do have the life of Jesus truly in them and are producing fruit. And that is that he prunes them that they may bear more fruit. And you get the picture that there's a snipping that takes place. The shoots that come out of the branch that don't produce fruit a vine dresser will pull away and cut them off. And those are the painful life experiences that may occur in our life because God is committed to fruitfulness for his glory and he will do whatever it takes in that moment. And so many of us have experienced the pruning of God in our life. Perhaps no other passage in the New Testament explains it as well as Hebrews chapter 12 that the pruning that occurs is the discipline of God. So Hebrews 12, verse 5, in the middle begins, My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't be weary when reproved by the Lord. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. We've all had fathers who have disciplined us, it's for discipline that we endure. God's treating us as sons. What son is there whom the father doesn't discipline? Well, perhaps many today. But verse 10 says, our fathers disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Notice verse 11. The moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields 
the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. There's fruit that comes from pruning. And that's what God, the vine dresser, does. He takes away fake branches. And he prunes through difficult experiences, through his mercy and love, branches that are true branches, but need certain things removed from them so that more of the life of Jesus can flow and produce the fruit that glorifies the Father. Maybe you've experienced the pruning. Maybe we could even say that the difficulties of recent days have been some of the things that God's been using to refine our focus to do what this text asks us to do, to abide in him. Before we leave the vine dresser, there is one more gift that he gives to the vineyard, and it's the gift of answered prayer. Answered prayer, it's what the Father does. In verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, that you would go and bear fruit, that your fruit would abide, so that whatever you ask of the Father, he would give to you. The father, the vine dresser, you're so attached to the life of Jesus that you can communicate with the father and the father is answering prayer because he loves the branches of the vineyard and he wants them to produce fruit. Listen, I didn't want to go into this passage about the true vine without first seeing the role of the vine dresser. Do you have it? He loves you. He answers prayer. He prunes because he loves and one day the warning is he will disconnect. He, he will remove and in judgment, destroy branches who reject the true vine. That's a warning. So what's the word of the true vine? The true vine loves us and gave himself for us. He kept his father's commandment and he laid down his life for his friends. And what's the word for us then? Well, the overwhelming emphasis of the passage is that to bear fruit that glorifies God, we must, 11 times in this passage, abide in him. So verse 4, abide in me and I in you. The branch can't bear fruit by itself. You cut a branch off a tree, there's no way fruit will continue to come from it. You have to abide and stay in the, in the vine. Unless you abide in the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is who bears much fruit from a, apart from me. You can do nothing. This picture of abiding and this word that's used 40 times by the Apostle John in this gospel is the word to remain, to stay with, to continue in, or to persevere. And so it's as if Jesus is saying, I want you to stay with me. Judas is the picture of defection. But to his disciples, he's saying, you remain with me. I want to make it clear that our energy 
to remain is not what saves us. What saves us? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your faith saves you by the grace of God. Abiding is both the call of God to remain in him, to keep believing in him, so that as Paul said in another place, as you receive Christ, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ? By faith alone. So how do you walk with him? By faith alone. You remain, you abide, we stay put. We're right here with them, with him. And there are a couple of verses that describe this. Verse seven, if you abide in me, what's the next phrase? And my words abide in you, as if to say one of the ways in which you abide is to allow the words of Christ to be in you, flowing through you. If you abide in my words, you'll abide in my love. It's like staying close to the vine. The picture is that I am a Christian. I am in the true vine, and the life of Jesus is coursing through my veins. I'm with Jesus in contradiction to every other affiliation of my life, the most important connection of my life is that I am attached to Jesus and the life of Jesus flows through me. And you might ask the question, well, what does that look like? What does it look like to abide in the vine? What it looks like is there is fruit. There is evidentiary manifestation of a life that is so attached to Jesus that the life of Jesus is flowing out of us. And I want you to see a couple of these. If the whole purpose of this analogy is to encourage us to abide in Jesus so that out of our life comes evidence that we belong to him, what is that evidence? What is the fruit that's being described? It would be very easy to say, well, of course the fruit is described in other places, such as Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, where Paul said there, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit of a life under his control, and that would be right. Or you could look at Philippians chapter 1, where Paul prayed to the Philippian church, um, I want your love to abound more and more in real knowledge and discernment so that you will approve what's excellent and so that you will be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ think vine, to the glory of God. That's Philippians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. And I think those are absolutely right. But within our text today, right within John 15, there are at least four things that are the fruit of a life that remains with Jesus. The first is, in verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, I think one of the fruit of evidence of abiding and remaining in Jesus, continuing to believe in him, is a life of obedience to his word. We actually are in his words. His words are in us. 
we remain listening to the things that he has said and we are obedient to the things that he said. It's a life of obedience. So again, verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now, the only one who could say a thing like that is the great I am. The one who actually exists in a category by himself says, if you are connected to me, you will listen to my words and you will obey them. I love that Jesus says, you will do this and you can follow me as I have done this. Verse 10, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commands and I abide in his love. As Jesus is asking us to do nothing more than what he has done, he obeyed his father. He kept his father's command. Now, we've already read it, but what do you think the command of the father to Jesus was that he's referring to? Are you ready? It's chapter 14 at the end. It is the looking forward to go to the cross to die for his branches. It was the command of the Father that Jesus would leave the glory of heaven, come to earth, and die for us. That was the Father's will for Jesus. The command of God, I, I ask you to go to the cross. And Jesus fulfilled that command. And he did it, chapter 14, verse 31, so that the world would know that I love my Father, and if God asked me to go to the cross, I will do that because I love my Father. That's amazing. That is the grounding for which Jesus says to us, so when I say to you, here are my commands, he's asking us to obey him because we love him and we love the Father. I think a life of obedience is one of the first fruits of a life of a branch attached to the true vine. The second evidence is a life of prayer. Verse seven says, um, you abide in me and my words in you, then ask whatever you will in my name and it will be done for you. Verse 16, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, the Father will do for you. When the life of Jesus courses through our life, we're in communion with him. We're praying to him. We're asking him. We're listening to his voice through his word, and we're speaking to him in prayer. And I think a life of prayer is one of the fruits that I'm with Jesus. Verse 11 is the third fruit. Verse 11, Jesus said, um, I'm saying these things to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. I think there'll be a life of joy knowing that whatever's happening in the world around me, I belong to the true vine. I have his life in me and I have love and joy in my life. I have his joy in me. And the last one is described in verses 12 all the way through 17. This is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another probably the last fruit in the text immediately is a life of love, love for others. And that's exactly what was spoken in John chapter 
13, verse 35, by this will all men know you're my disciples. You really are a branch in which the life of Jesus is flowing and coursing through your veins if you love other people. Okay, we have to close for today. Four fruits, a life of obedience, a life of prayer, a life of joy, and a life of love in the world. How will people know that you are attached to the true vine, it will be that this evidence of fruitful living will be seen in the world. In the world that has, in this very moment, darkness all over the place. A darkness which needs to see the evidentiary proof that Christ is real. By this will all men know that you are my disciples. You abide in my word. You love each other. You bear much fruit. Prove to be disciples of Jesus. I think the world is looking to see, is our faith real? When Jesus spoke to his disciples, this is what he said. Stay with me. Remain in me. Keep believing in me. Don't give up believing. Be in my words. Speak to my Father. Experience my joy. Love one another. And through this, God our Father, the great I am, will be glorified. This is our mission, Calvary. If you're listening to my voice right now, our mission is to be branches that bear fruit, even if it requires God's work of removing things that hinder his fruitful work. And may the world around us, in every place that we'll go this week, see the evidentiary fruit of the life of Jesus in us, the true vine, the great I am. To God be glory. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you love the vineyard that you're cultivating. You love us enough to give this commandment to your son to lay down his life for us. He obeyed that command because he loves you. And we hear that and now hear your voice say to us, stay with me, abide in me. Jesus, we want to abide with you. We want to remain in you. And we want to keep your commandments and listen to your voice and let the life of Jesus so flow through our lives that your love can be seen in us, that your word could be declared through us, that your joy would hold us in difficult days, and that our perseverance would bring you glory. God, work in our lives. I pray for anyone who is listening to my voice who has never called on the name of Jesus to save him. I pray, Lord, that you will open the hearts of those who now know that Jesus is the one who laid down his life to bring us to the Father, the vine dresser. And I pray, God, that you would open the hearts of every listener to believe in Jesus, to abide in Jesus and to bear fruit for the glory of God. This is what we pray for together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.